Are you a HubSpot user looking to stay up to date with HubSpot, inbound, and all the information that will make your job easier and help you and your company grow better? Each week, the Spot brings you the HubSpot education, ideas, and tools that you need to maximize your success, make work just a little bit easier, and of course, brighten your day along the way. Listen in as Julie, Doug, Max, and George share their authentic, entertaining, and valuable conversations with the people who really matter. That's right, you. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for your HubSpot journey heroes. Welcome to this week's episode of The Spot. Ready, spot, go. We're into this thing. We're going to do it. I am so excited to be back with my buddies, my pals, my friends, my coworkers, my I don't know. You guys are everything to me, be honest. I think I'm I'm having the holiday spirit early because I'm feeling all mushy and warm and I just need a fireplace and and maybe some eggnog and I'll be good to go. But today, we're going to talk about some interesting things. Before we get into all of what we're going to talk about though, I have a question for you guys because I really loved um the last episode of starting out with a question and seeing where it went. And so um, I want to ask you guys uh, this simple thing. It's simple. It'll probably derail us, in all honesty, but it's simple. Um, What is your favorite, favorite transformational moment? Of this year? I'm I'm giving no hints. The question question is, Uh, transformational moment. When I got the text from George asking if I wanted to be on a weekly podcast. Oh, um, my gosh. Uh, okay. Hey. I, <laughs> so, well, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll talk about this year, I guess. So, I mean, for me, it was at the beginning of the year in March when all the COVID stuff happened. And um, we got the call like two or three days before we had a new, cl- like a class of new hires that was like 49 people or something like that coming in. And of course, we were all freaked out about COVID and all that kind of stuff. But we were still thinking that we were going to do a training at at HQ, like we always do. And, you know, we got the call like two days, three days before it was about to start that we were shutting everything down and we had to do training completely remotely. And that like scared the crap out of me, right? Because we had, you know, I'm used to being in front of a room of people and being up there like doing my thing and like performing and like you know, getting all my energy from the crowd and everything. And I knew I was going to have to like sit behind a computer and like do that and just look at, you know, 49 Zoom faces, which is going to be a pretty difficult, you know, task for me. Um, but, you know, we we got through that first day after totally reimagining our whole orientation day, first day experience for all of them, tried a bunch of new stuff, created a bunch of new sessions on the fly. And it worked and it was great. And people had said this is the greatest onboarding they had ever been through, even though it was the very first time we had we had done it remotely. And like kind of just seeing that happen and like, you know, talking to my team and like realizing like, hey, you know, we can do anything as long as we like put our mind to it. And even though it's scary, just kind of step into the void. And I think that's where like a lot of growth happens. And, you know, every all of my you know, remote facilitation skills have come from me just getting completely tossed into it uh, because of COVID. And that like, from that moment, I became a remote facilitator now. I haven't been in a classroom in in so long and and this is kind of my new normal. So I think that was like a a pretty key moment of this year that changed a lot for me. And I think kind of transformed me into being able to do stuff like this, right? I don't think I would have been able to sit down and do a podcast with you guys like this if 
I wasn't already used to facilitating and doing stuff like this on Zoom. So this one I for me. love that. I love that because there's there's so much good yeah. stuff there. It's like uh, out of chaos, fear, being scared, reimagining like this this transformational moment for you and being able to do things. So, Julie, Doug, uh, favorite transformational moment? I don't think I have one. And I think that I don't have one because I don't actually care about what might be considered the transformational moment, like the after. And I say that because I like the journey and the process of getting somewhere far more than the reveal, right? So I love, really outing myself here, um, I love to start getting into a show or a movie or a series, like anything, and then go read the Wikipedia page and learn how all of the loose ends get wrapped up. Because then, as I'm watching the show, I'm focusing on how are these things going to stack up and feed into that major conclusion. Um, so I kind of miss like the transformation because I just want to know how we got there. I don't even really care. Like I very often will watch like a reality show, like a, a game show or something, um, like a like the Great British Bake Off, right? Big fan. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. We know what you're talking about. Sorry. Well, you can't win. You can't win that one. So I like a show where you can win. I do like competition, but I'll watch a competition show, and I won't watch the end of the episode because I don't actually care who wins. I care about what happened, and then I find out who won in the next episode. So like I'm weird. This is very strange, but it makes me so happy to know. Just like watch the story, watch the progression, and then figure it out later or read the story after I know the end already. It definitely answers the question why you made your, why you study archaeology. Oh yeah. Like I like stuff that's already done or yeah, like, and, I and like just the, figuring out the process. Just the discovery of, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, it's, uh, so uh, I'm, I, you may have broke me cause mentally I'm sitting here and I'm like, uh, the cotton gin, um, electricity, um, the internet, like there are so many, ma and Julie's like, I just want to know the ending. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. There's like all right, these like, things. Okay. The cotton gin is cool, but like, what was the trial and error process of figuring out like how that should have happened? See, right. See, I think, I think the thing that broke George is like, if you had that music box, you know, all around the mulberry bush, you know, pop goes the, like you would be okay with uh like it goes to pop goes the, it hasn't popped out. It doesn't say weasel yet. And you'd be like, okay, cool. What's that? Yeah. And, and see, you can look no. like, you can see George's face. Where, like no. he's already feeling it. Like, no, 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 no. You, you have to. I almost said weasel. An hour uh, later, he'd go no. back just to finish it. Cause it's got to finish. No, it's oh, got to yeah, finish. No. You've got to finish it. Yeah, like, no, like to not watch like, oh, like you got to know who wins. You got it. Yeah. No. This is wrong. So, like, so I, I haven't watched all of the Avenger movies, but I know how they <gasps> end. So now I'm like, how are we going to get there? I'm so excited because I'm seeing oh how, my I get, God! how I get to the ending. No. I don't care no. about the ending. Episode's over. Episode is okay, over. Hold on, hold on. See that <laughs> what you're saying there is, is 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 off because they didn't have that ending when they started making the Avenger movies. But now I know we're going to end up there. And I want to like reverse engineer it. So I'm also a rewatcher. Let's talk about the plot holes. Of oh Avengers my God. I think that's, okay, I think so, that's a so, different 
podcast. <laughs> like I said, like I said, I know that this question is going to take a sideways. But Doug, Doug, let's let's reel it in and let's go ahead. Uh, favorite transformation. My God, I don't know if I can keep going, Julie. I think you did break my brain. Doug, favorite transformational moment. You know, it, it, it requires a, a maybe a different viewpoint of, of the word favorite because by no means was any aspect of this transformational moment enjoyable. So in, in my, um, in my first business with my family, my first real business on a consulting company with my family, we consulted with travel agencies. We had these big plans. Um, I was in charge of sales. So one of the things I got to do was plot out, you know, what territories did we want to open and, and work, et cetera. And so early in our um, existence, we went, I chose Phoenix, Arizona, always loved Phoenix, my best friend from high school went to Arizona State, so he's living in Phoenix. So I decide I'm going to do a two-week trip to Phoenix because I'm going to spend the weekend with my buddy. Um, I'm going to do two weeks in Phoenix, Arizona. We're going to, you know, just, you know, super accelerate the growth of the of of, of the Phoenix business, et cetera. We do promotion, you know, the way we did things back then. This was a pre-web world, so we would do a seminar, and we had good attendance to the seminar. Um, and then we would work. I would work follow-up meetings from that, and uh, and so on. You know, the conversion rate of webinar to meetings wasn't quite where we wanted to be. Like, the, so the, you know, day one, we do the webinar. I have like a meeting day two, I have like three or four meetings and they all just, I mean, uh, trainers, just trainers. No way. Day three, I have one or two meetings in the morning, train wreck, train wreck. Every, every aspect about every assumption we had was just, you know, completely off. I'm in a McDonald's parking lot having gone through drive through calling back to my brother and my parents to say, here's what we're experiencing, you know, and like, I'm crying. I'm literally bawling because everything that we've done, my parents took out a mortgage, you know, took out a, you know, part of the mortgage, their whole house, but they took out a mortgage. Um, I had left a really good job with a well-known company, all these, and, and like every assumption we had was just like, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. Oh shit. Um, so we decide, you know what, there's no point here. Like I don't even have any more meetings basically. Right. So we decide, you know what, cut the trip short. We're going to cut the trip short. I'm going to go back. I, and frankly, all I really wanted to do was crawl in a hole anyways. Um, and then that weekend we drew up, it's like, you know, every assumption wrong, every assumption wrong, every, like, and, okay, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Cause you know, our parents have mortgaged the house. So it's not like, Hey, Hey, it was a good try. Let's, you know, and we completely redesigned the entire business model, the entire go-to-market strategy. Um, we did have to throw away like the 5,000 pieces that we had to have printed, you know, because back then you had to have your collateral printed in advance, et cetera. You know, it worked. Um, you know, ultimately we sold the company. Um, we didn't make the money we wanted to make, but everybody made money, pretty good pretty happy ending more importantly um i learned um in it, it it is it is the problem the solution lies in the problem um so you can't you know i think one of the reasons why people don't solve problems is because they're not willing to embrace you know they, they want to kind of bypass it or avoid it you got to look into the problem you got to you know immerse yourself you know bathe in it if you will um you got to you got to separate opinions feelings from facts as best you can so the, and, and if you do that, the solution is in there, right? Cause that's where the resistance is. But then even more, I mean, A, I got my teeth kicked in really, really, really early. 
um, theoretically, everything we were doing was going to be was right. I mean, we were, uh, I actually learned, and by the way, we were right. Our initial ideas were right. Um, and the market ultimately moved to where we were. Um, but, but I learned, you know, it, you can be right or you can be accepted by the market. You can't always be both. And, you know, if you want to sit around and wait, you better have a lot of money. Um, so everything that I do today, I, you know, in, in, you know, has its genesis um, in, in the reality of how we started to reposition and, and rethink things as a, as a small startup business. So again, I did not like it. So I like, I can't say it's my favorite of golly gee, let's do that again. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that was probably the most meaningful transformation. But it was, it was a precipice, right? It, it was like this, this defining mm-hmm. moment of, of who am I going to be? How am I going to show up? And, and by the way, timing is everything for your story. Timing, the market, right? Were you well, you know, one of the things on, on, de, um, on defining moment, because I actually talk about defining moments more than I talk about transformations, and they're kind of the same thing, I, I think maybe, at least that moment of. One of the things about defining moments is you never know they're defining moments until long after they're defining moments. And they are almost always painful. Right. And, and so, you, you know, and, and that's why, you know, you try to, you, you know, I think, I think three years ago, I asked the question, what if the struggle is the reward? And, yeah. and so when you kind of kick out of your brain, this whole idea that like, we have this image that if we're doing it right, it's easy, but if it was easy, then it wouldn't be no one like doing it right would be no big deal. Right. And so you, you, when you realize that, you know, that's part of it, I think, I think it changes how you, how you view everything. Yeah, Doug, when you say that, I think of the Jim Rohn uh, statement, if you do what is hard, life will be easy. If you do what is easy, life will be hard, right? And those are those are some valuable words to live by. It's it's interesting. People might be into the podcast right now wondering, uh, the title says RevOps. Uh, why have we spent so much time talking about transformation or our favorite transformational moments? Which, by the way, my uh, favorite transformational moment, and Doug, I will agree with you, I did not know it was a transformational or a defining moment until long after it happened. Uh, 2012, by the way, by the way, I battled with myself to say like when my kids were born, when I married my wife, like all these things came to mind at first as I was like unpacking this. But if, if we're talking business podcast, uh, inbound 2012, right, going and uh, learning about HubSpot. Uh, learning about inbound, uh, hearing Gary V uh, talk for the first time, it, it has without a doubt sent me on a path uh, that changed my life from that day until where we sit on this podcast right now. Uh, it has to be one of my favorite transformational moments is sitting in Boston going, wow, I want to do something completely different and I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to get there. And so... The reason I bring this up is because there is this thing that has been being talked about, this term that's been being thrown around, this way that people are starting to do business, and it is called RevOps. And it smells like to me, and I I know I want to have you guys weigh on this, it smells to me like we're on the precipice of what was the inbound transformation back in 2010, 2011. And I just want to know, is it? a fad? Is it a title? Is it a movement? When you think of RevOps and you think of companies and you think of silos 
And yes, Doug, I did this to you at the end of the year to have this conversation. Like, where do your brains go with if this is something all companies should be paying attention to? Some companies, like, I'm just going to drop that in the lap of the podcast and sit back and see what happens. All right, I'm going to go first, but I'm only going to start because if I go with my whole thought, I might, no one else might actually get a chance to say anything. Anybody that remembers when Michael Jordan started playing basketball after he played about 10 years, some new kid would come out and it was, he's the next Michael Jordan. He's the next Michael Jordan. He's the next Michael Jordan. Um, and, you know, maybe, you know, finally you got to LeBron James who might meet the category, but I think, but, you know, but he's not Michael Jordan. He's different than Michael Jordan. He's a different player. Um, so, I mean, is this, here's the fundamental thing about inbound that I feel like everybody misses and everybody wants to make whatever the next thing is, this is like inbound. And that is there was a change in the dynamics of the world, right? So we keep saying the buyer today wants to control. I got news for you. The buyer yesterday wanted to control the buyer of 1955 wanted to control their journey, right? They couldn't, there was there was a imbalance of access to information. And what the internet did was it, is it equalized or maybe even put to the advantage of the buyer that access to information? There was a physical shift in what happened that changed what was capable. The fact that we called it inbound marketing. Um, and, and by the way, I did inbound marketing in the 1990s. I didn't do it through the web because there really was none. But we wrote a blog. We had a landing page. It was just an advertorial, and it was just a report that you could buy. Um, you know, Chet Holmes in the Ultimate Sales Machine talks about the entire landing page conversion strategy when there was no such thing as landing pages. So, so again, what made inbound inbound was there was a meaningful shift that changed the equation for how people play. What is revenue operations? Well, revenue operations is not new. Everything that revenue operations does has been done since the beginning of sales and marketing. Now, there's a growth of complexity. There's a growth of things that are happening. There, there, there's a number of things that are going on, right? And, and what, what the thing that scares me about revenue operations and so much of the world today is, and I blame HubSpot for this, because HubSpot, as well as anybody, created a category, created a, a method. By the way, it's not really a method, um, but created a method. Um, by which to, to move a product. And the thing is that had never been done before. And I don't think they knew what they were doing. Like, I don't think it was, um, Hey, we're going to do this because it just, those were the things that made sense. And now everyone's going, Hey, look at what they did. We've got to call it something. We've got to call it a method. We've got to call it. And so if you look at all the people that are causing revenue operations to become this buzzword, they're all tech companies. They're, they're, they're all tech applications that are trying to create this category for this need. Now, make no mistake, revenue operations is absolutely real. My company is all about revenue operations. So, so we'll get into some of that later. Whatever you call it, like you're, you have revenue operations right now, whether you call it revenue operations, whether you designated it, any of those things, those are all present. This is not new, right? And, and, and so it's more about what's the strategy, what's the structure, and what's the execution of what you're doing. And you know what? Call it whatever you want. Let's get let's get out of the terms. Let's get out of the hype. So I'm gonna kind of that's where I'll stop. 
I really am eager to hear Max's point of view here just because I know that there's been even a shift within HubSpot toward a, a RevOps kind of approach and mindset and use case. So I love that insider context. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, admittedly when I was like going through this, I mean, yeah, does RevOps kind of feel like a bit of a buzzword to me a little bit? I think especially a lot of people in the SaaS space love to, you know, coin terms like this and things, things do become fads. But I mean, when I'm like looking through it, it's like, yeah, I mean, this is kind of stuff that like people have already been doing for a while. I mean, otherwise your business wouldn't really run, I guess, unless I'm looking at it at a much more like simplistic way. What I like, so like if I was the way I, I look at a lot of things through like the HubSpot lens, right? Because that's where the majority of my experience comes from, right? It's like talking to businesses about how to do the whole HubSpot thing, right? And, you know, from my take, like if you were starting from scratch, would it make sense to have, and I'm not even going to like say RevOps, but would it make sense for, you know, if you were to, if you had the ability to deploy HubSpot and had one team kind of dedicated to working with the other teams and ensure all the systems were getting set up. So all the information flows together to the right parts of the team. And you don't have like two different schools of thought inside of like one system that you're trying to build and you're trying to kind of marry everything together. Yeah. If you have the luxury of doing that from the beginning, I think it's great. Is it going to be tough for some businesses to kind of say, Oh, we already have a sales operations kind of, element of our business and we have a marketing operations element of our business, we must like throw that out and marry them together and create our RevOps team and, and, and do it. I mean, I maybe if, but it depends on your business. It depends on your situation. It depends on how things, how well things are working or not working. You know what I mean? Like, do I think it's just something people need to like rush into? I don't know, but I'll always be one to say like, yeah, having a, a very unified approach in a way that you set up something as complex as HubSpot and how your teams work together is great. But you know, every business is going to be different, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. This this, this is where I, I I love Max, but I got to call bullshit on, on the vision, right? There, there is no, there is no unified flow. That's not what like, by the way, we all know diversity brings robustness and vitality, right? Sales and marketing should think differently. We keep, we keep treating the differences between sales and marketing like bugs, not features. It's good that they think differently. It's good that they don't speak the same language. It's good that they have different priorities. That, that conflict, that construct is what creates creativity. And that's why as you grow bigger and you, you, we, we have to separate the words complex and the words complicated. As we grow and as we move forward, things get more complicated and they get more complex. Now, you can manage complicated, and that's kind of what you were talking about in the beginning of operations is about managing things that are complicated. The more you utilize the capabilities of HubSpot, the more complicated it is, so it becomes hard for people to mix things, and so this team manages that complication. But complexity is about interdependent systems that operate differently See, see, the fundamental problem with modern sales and marketing is we keep taking out an element of a complex ecosystem. We isolate it, email, email subject line. We isolate it, 
we put it back in and then we operate on the assumption that what we did doesn't change every other aspect of the system that we plug it back into. This is a butterfly flaps its wings in Portugal and a hurricane comes to Spain, you know, a hurricane hits Spain, right? That's what a complex ecosystem is. So we put it back in that changes every other element of the ecosystem that also changes the element that we isolated and, and put back in, right? We keep operating for this idea, unified, smooth, easy. I don't know any, I mean, Max, I, I've seen a HubSpot. HubSpot's as good as any company I've seen. I've seen you guys. You're like a thousand hamsters running on wheels, looking to get it in. By the way, when, when's the final piece for inbound done? I think typically it's done about 15 seconds before the inbound, you know, the inbound curtain goes up and, and there's huge teams, everything's associated to it. Guess what? That's not a bug. That's the vitality that's real. Where RevOps comes in and the aspect that is, that is emerging, right? One, one of the things that we learned is that all this technology that we're adding and all this specialization, it actually brings a ton of complexity. And so what we've been doing is we've been focusing in sales and marketing on doing more and more and more and more. But we're not focusing on, on the friction and the complexity that we're creating. And I want to emphasize this to manage the friction, not to eliminate the friction, right? There's places where friction is good. There's places where friction is bad. The difficulty is, is all the friction shows up at the point of execution and that wreaks havoc, right? So what, what revenue operations as a discipline does is it looks at the other side of the trade-off. Right. And there, again, there is no right or wrong answer. And if you're going to imp truly implement revenue operations so that it changes something, it's a discipline that views things holistically to manage trade-offs. If we do this, it's going to have some good and bad. This is going to be easier for this situation. This is going to be harder. If we do this, it's going to most likely have this impact. And it begins to bring in other disciplines that I still can't figure out how they've been missing from the world of sales and marketing, which is true data science. We, we've learned now that if we put data and metrics in front of everybody, they don't get smarter. They actually get dumber. Putting all the data in front of everybody doesn't always lead to, to good outcomes. That's where data science comes in. And then the bigger thing is behavioral science, right? All these things that we're doing in our sales and marketing plans, whether we're looking internally or externally, they're designed to influence behavior, but no one actually brings the discipline of understanding behavior and, and, and testing it and iterating on that. And so what revenue operations does is manage that, for lack of a better word, that backend complexity. It views things through, um, you know, if you think about it, upstream and downstream, revenue operations is an upstream function so that your sales, marketing, and success teams, which are downstream functions, can execute at scale, right? You can't solve upstream problems downstream. That's the problem with the world today is we keep, we keep sacrificing what we need to be doing upstream to try to fix it downstream. That's why, you know, that's why we have however many police at a multiple of the number of social workers to work at the point of where the cause of the problem occurs, right? And so what revenue operations does is it balances that out so that you have a more holistic, more scalable approach. It's not just a set of functions and administrative. So there's a couple of things I want to throw in here. <clears throat> first of all, and that's all I got to say about for, that. First of all, first of all, if a butterfly flaps its wings in Portugal 
and there's a tornado in Spain, that's one strong-ass butterfly, bro, because that's not a whole lot of distance for anything to pick up and gain speed along the way. More importantly than that, I didn't say instantaneously. (laughs) I did not say instantaneously, but I want to hit on that, right? I want to hit on that because, you know, we look at a close, we look at closing a sale. The reason for decades we we have worshipped closers is because we thought the people who could ask somebody to buy, that's what caused the purchase. We're learning more and more that what causes the purchase is before you even show up, right? Humans are really, really bad at figuring out and, and, and determining cause and effect. We're really bad at it because we don't do well in complex adaptive systems because our brains seek certainty. And what revenue operations does is takes that more holistic approach so that we're looking at all those various consequences. Sorry. I Julie, just- <clears throat> Julie, Julie, what's, what's going around Hi. in your brain? What's going around in your brain right now? First and foremost, I would love if our first episode of 2021 is the episode where Doug and I finally get to stand on our soapboxes about positive friction, because we could so take this there right now. And I don't want to, because it's horribly off topic of what we're supposed to be talking about. Uh, but I, I will fight that fight. And I just like, it's one of my favorite concepts. I have some bias here. Um, we at Impulse Creative are focusing on helping a lot of clients right now with the systems, the processes, the ripple effects, um, the uh, butterfly effects of process and people right now. One of the things that I love about the RevOps mindset, whether it is calling something that has always had uh, always been done, but not had a name, whether it's just like good business practices, whether it's the idea of if we stopped and rebuilt it, what would it be? Or if we had the opportunity to build it the right way from scratch, what would it be? Right. Whatever you call it, however you think about it is as an agency, we can sometimes be uniquely positioned as a service provider and agency, Doug, I'm sure you have felt this too, that you can tell someone like, no, no, no. Like we're going to stop and think about this differently. And, um, the way people, engineer their business to work for them can be really scary sometimes. The thing I'm seeing a lot of is organizations that are trying to scale are suddenly today realizing that what has gotten them through may not work when they start hiring in multiples of 10 and 20. Um, I'm working with a client right now who thinks they're, um, their commercial team will probably go from six to 50 next year. And the start of their lead process is, well, we have these names in a spreadsheet and then, right, which is scary. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot of, it's all just a lot to me, um, but I think it's exciting. Um, I think it is a change. And I think sometimes giving something a name helps people wrap their head around doing something differently. And if that's the benefit of calling it RevOps versus just calling it business operations or sales operations or marketing operations, I don't know if that's a bad thing. Except except the problem is when you give something a name and it means something different to everybody, then you actually haven't improved the situation. You've actually harmed the situation because it begins to be, and, we're, and I'm seeing this not just in revenue operations, but but in everything. In, in terms of how people are trying to, you know, again, create these methodologies. That's not inbound. This is inbound. And, you know, 
What's a pillar page? I don't know. Whatever you want a pillar page to be right now, because there are about 37 different definitions from people claiming to be experts on pillar pages. Now, I will agree there's no, and we have to understand this, there's no one right way to do revenue operations. We actually, um, through some research that we did, we actually created a model called the five levels of revenue operations. And one of the key distinctions is there is a tactical revenue operations. And by the way, that tactical rev ops, that's the stuff that, that has been around in some way, shape or form. And, and to some degree, I, I don't disagree with calling it revenue operations to help bring it together to, to bring more alignment um, is, is, is fine. Then there's a strategic revenue operations. And what we need to understand is progressing from tactical revenue operations to strategic rev ops is not a straight line journey. There, there's a chasm between a tactical approach to a strategic approach. The tactical approach is about efficiency. And, and the reason that RevOps is becoming so much more popular is because sales organizations have become insanely inefficient. And, and so this move to increase efficiency has, has picked up a lot of steam. And that's why, that, that's why eliminate friction get, gets told as opposed to eliminate positive, you know, eliminate negative friction or, or any of those other things. Um, strategic revenue operations is really about managing output. You know, the funny thing is what, what sales and marketing organizations are dealing with today it's precisely what manufacturing companies dealt with in the 1980s and 1990s and they had to figure out. Sales and marketing organizations are beginning to jump the shark on efficiency because we're associating efficiency equals success. That, you know, again, that, that's probably a topic for a whole, a whole nother conversation but, or a whole nother podcast. But the, the point is there are different approaches. There's no one form of, but, but I think if a revenue operations is going to be something there, there has to, there has to be something behind what does that mean? Otherwise, I can just call something revenue operations and say, okay, yep, check mark. So, and and I agree uh, with some things. I, I do have a, a statement or two that I want to make too. Like Doug, in in research that I've been doing, because if we go to RevOps, it could quickly take us to the chief operating officer, um, and the chief operating officer title uh, looks dramatically different on a business to business standpoint because usually. Uh, that title is built to wrap around the business itself and, and the needs of said uh, things. So it's it's interesting that RevOps can be different things. Um, but here's the thing. I want to circle back to a, a very interesting thing, thing that you said about inbound and why I wanted to ask the question of if this was a transformational moment, if this was uh, just somebody naming something, if this was a buzzword, because you said, well, you see here with inbound, the buyer had changed. Something had dramatically changed no. to make this happen. No. Oh, no. Okay. I did so, not say the buyer had okay. changed. So okay. you said, that's what inbound says. But you said the information was now readily available or or there was this this change, this change, right? Do you want to say it the way that you said it? The game literally changed. The okay. game literally changed. Yes. So here's what, looking back historically, ever since the days of the sales line, been on a podium, been talking about, you, heard you talk about the fact that sales, marketing, inefficiencies, like, but but it wasn't painful enough for people to really drive change, put somebody in charge of that change. And I'm curious, 
if it's the fact that there is no room for inefficiencies, if COVID has squeezed companies so hard that they're looking yeah. for a no. way to do business differently, you're immediately going no, but I want no. you – okay, explain. Be, explain. But I can – but, 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 but I can tell you what, first off, we've been, um, revenue operations has been emerging for the last year and a half, number one, as, as, as a major term. This is, this is very, very pre-COVID. Um, but, but more importantly, um, you said revenue operations emerged because the pain wasn't big enough. That, that's where I'm really going to disagree with you because revenue operations exist, existed long before it's become this hot term. And, and, and this is where we have to be careful about this echo chamber that we're in. A, large companies have been doing revenue operations for decades. They've even called it revenue operations and, and, on, or, and or other terms that, that mean the same thing. Forward-thinking companies have had people that manage that operations side, right, to, to, to look at these things. The reason that revenue operations has become a big issue is because of the growth of the MarTech stack of sales and marketing technology and companies. And so now the commercialization to push it through to say, you need RevOps, you need RevOps, you need RevOps. Data is not data, it's RevOps, you need RevOps. Here's this hole, here's this budget line that you need. This is a supplier driven emergence. Now on one degree, I'm happy with that because it creates an awareness of revenue operations that allows me and allows impulse, it allows imagine and allows impulse to talk about how we can help fill that need. If, if these companies hadn't manufactured the awareness of that, we'd have to be explaining what it is. You know, now we have to explain that it's not what you think it is. Yeah. Right. But at least, you know, there, there's, there's that term that's there. I don't know, like, at least it's a search term now, but, but, but let's not mistake where that Genesis is. And, and you know, it's like conversational marketing. This is a brand new, the buyer has changed. No, the buyer hasn't changed. And, and look, I have nothing against conversational Chat, chat. ABM changes the game. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> we, we've been doing account-based marketing since the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Now they've been very, very large companies because the cost of doing it. And now what's happened with, with, with the tech stack and you know, it's brought it down so that companies that, that couldn't have done it before can do it. But we're running around talking about like things are new. And why is ABM new? Um, I forget the, I'm going blank on the association that that named it account-based marketing but take a look at who the key members of the group that does the research are they're all marketing and sales technology companies right and so the association says this is what account-based marketing is and bam tech piece tech piece tech piece tech piece right so so that's why i said you know these underlying attributes are becoming you know, our, our, our drive, our driving change, you, know, you have small companies that, that, that five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, had virtually no tech for their sales and marketing. Today, they've got 17 different applications, right? And, and so, oh my God, there's conflict Problem. that somebody has to come in and begin to orient. But, 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 you know, but that, you know, that's the insanity of, well, I bought the product because that was supposed to solve the problem. And, and, and so that's why I took issue with the no is, you know, that, that's why Gartner has their hot, their hype cycle. You know, where we are right now with revenue operations is we're not at the peak height, but we're moving well up that channel to peak height. That's where it is. It's a real thing. But but right now it's it's 90 like of all the stuff that's out there, it's 90% smoke. Because when you look underneath it and you say, what are people going to be doing differently because of it? A company like HubSpot. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, HubSpot has 
I think 80 or 90 people mixed between operations and strategy people in their revenue operations group. They don't have just technology. It's not just a couple of people. They have a large organization of people who are looking at it from very different perspectives. They're bringing in that data science. They're doing right. And, and, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, this is like a soapbox day for me. Sorry. But we, we keep calling things new that aren't new. And, and I think, and I know in the community, like out in the world, the people who are running the businesses that we serve every day, they're totally confused and overwhelmed because they think they're doing things wrong. And they think, I, mean, I talked to somebody about RevOps and like, I'm not sure we're ready for that change. No, th no there's no change. You're, you're already living with this, right? This is, this is already true. But, but you see, that doesn't sell tech well. That story of there's nothing new here, you're already living with that, that doesn't create the FOMO that, that makes somebody want to buy a tech product. The problem with that, though, is I don't know, <clears throat> Doug, if everybody is there, meaning I don't know if every company or most companies have a mindset of the bridge or of looking at all the pieces of the puzzle. I, I, I think as, as humans, it's very hard to see the forest through the trees. Right. And so, so I don't, I, while there's, there's multiple why, portions of this. And why would you, if there are 17 tech companies out there saying here, buy our product, it solves it for you Buy our product. And you have revenue operations Buy our product and you'll align Buy our, by the way, on another podcast, we'll talk about silos are good. There's yeah, nothing wrong with yeah. silos. People you, need silos. You've lent, leave, you've leaned into right? that. I, I'm not going to disagree, but the handoff shouldn't be a shit show. I'm going to throw that out there. But that is a whole no, other episode. No, Correct. That is a whole other episode. That's what I'm talking about most of the time, too. <laughs> no, like, I, know. I know. Like, when I was but, talking about this morning, I was just like, well, I mean, when I talk about marketing and sales alignment, I, like, I'm, I'm talking about, are the leads getting to where they need to go? And, you know, is there some sort of common reporting that, you know, people are seeing the same thing? I'm, I'm, I think I talk about it at a much simpler level than all of y'all are. Like, well, but, no, I understand, I understand we're saying the same thing, but Julie, yeah. I, I want you to comment on this for me because I think yeah, you I, and I have, have, have this part. I know what you mean, but I also get to live with the market that hears what you say, and you, I mean HubSpot and other companies like that, that, that present it in this way and think, oh, well, there's something wrong with our sales and marketing because there's conflict here. It's supposed to be... They they're they're hearing these things and 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 they're missing that meaning behind it, um and and you know so there's a difference between what you say and what people hear. That's what I wanted to. Julie, you see the same thing, don't yeah. you? J Julie, or yeah. I, so give us your yeah. thoughts, Julie. Ooh, ooh. I'm getting I'm getting a lot of questions. Um, so first, before must must share. If you are buying software because you think the software will solve the problem for you, you are not spending your money well. Mm. Aside to everything Reach. else, the software doesn't do it for you. You still have to like build the guts, uh, and the guts are what's really important. Back onto this, like friction is bad, silos are bad, et cetera, et cetera. Um, really, we could do a whole episode about this. But so here's what I don't like to hear when I hear this from a client or prospect. Well, marketing generates leads, and then they just sit there, right? And that's for marketing. Sales says. We get leads from marketing, but they don't have this information that we need, so we can't follow up with them. No one over here and no one over here thought to say, hey, I can't follow up with this lead because my process is I have to call them and you didn't get me a phone number, right? And this person says, well, we're hitting our goal. And this person says, well, we're not getting there, right? Like that's not 
good friction. That's not good miscommunication. Good friction might be, hey, listen, sales, we're not going to ask our leads for their job title because we know you do a research process and you're going to get that really easily off of LinkedIn. And we want our forms to be shorter, but I understand you don't get those phone numbers. So instead of job title, I'm going to ask for a phone number, right? We're still creating friction. Sales still has to go research something, but it's operating a little bit more positively. It's just like a, a subtle change there, right? When people say there should never be any friction, right? Well, what does that really mean? Like, when I have worked with BDRs in the past, one of the things I've heard from those BDRs so often is, well, my sales reps just want me to, to do it all and give them a layup. They want me to pass the ball and it's a layup and they're done and they don't want to put the work into it. And sometimes I could see how that would be a good thing. Um, and I could see how sometimes that would be a little annoying if you're the BDR too and you're getting comped on X, Y, or Z. Um, but I think the same thing can happen in any kind of part of this process, right? Like, does that BDR want that layup lead to come in from marketing where they don't have to research? Well, I think research is good. I think spending the time to get to know someone before you talk to them is good. Does the sales rep need to do some type of handoff with the BDR? Probably. When that deal closes, is there something that the customer service team will need to dig into a little bit more to actually deliver on the sale? Probably, right? And those probablys and those points of like, who we learned a little bit more are not always a bad thing, but we want to know when they happen and why they happen. And we want to make sure we're able to take them and address them adequately, not just be like, oh, well, we sold this wrong. So now we're taking a hit on the, the money to actually finish the product or project. That's not good. I think it's just all bigger conversations to have about everything. And sometimes you need someone to guide those conversations. Doing them internally can be hard because there is you know, if you work with people who are passionate about what they do, why they do things about helping customers, about helping clients, they're going to be a lot of opinions and a lot of, we should do it this way. And I feel strongly about that. And, uh, sometimes my role is more of a mediator than it is anything else. And, and I'll add to all those things that you brought up, there is no right answer. There are wrong answers, mm -hmm. but there is no right answer. There are advantages and disadvantages to every decision. And, and in the example she gave, I was already thinking, well, you could do this and eliminate that, right? And the, the yeah. point being, the juice has to be worth a squeeze. Ah, there it is. There it is. We, we got it in this episode. <laughs> Woo! The juice and the squeeze made it into this episode, baby. Right. Yeah, All absolutely. right. So right. the juice has to be worth a squeeze. And and right, and 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 really that's what that's what RevOps. That that's the why of RevOps. They're the ones who think about the trade-off. Marketing should be fighting for what for you know they're looking to optimize to the extreme for them. Sales is looking to optimize the extreme for me. By the way, I would say to the BDR, if you were the account executive, wouldn't you want to lay up too? Of course, so what's that? That's what they want. I want to lay up. I want to right? lay up every time. Right. right. So okay, let's you know, and 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 you know, so understanding those things and navigating well, what does that mean? Okay, salesperson, we can give you a layup, but the number of ops that you're going to get, they're going to be cut by a factor of ten. Right. Yeah. My, my favorite is someone called me. They want lead scoring. I'm like, oh, so how many leads are you getting? Uh, we get about 150 leads a year. <laughs> how, how, abort, how many leads do you abort, need? Abort. We, need we have danger, a whole Will Robinson. But, danger. I'm not going to go down this road. No, I just, I'm just saying that, that like what they needed was, was like 5,000 leads. And I'm like, so 
why why do you need to score and like well we need to make sure that we're only working with the best leads i'm like well you don't have enough leads so why do you want like there's nothing to filter look at them all right so so that's doug let's go on lead scoring yeah yeah so so here's the thing we are at our customer story yeah we we are at our time so we we this has been a good episode obviously what this episode has shown me is that we need to have more episodes on RevOps because we didn't dive into some of the minutiae that we could by the way there are two articles well actually there's a webinar link hubspot uh uh, the road to RevOps, how to design a world-class RevOps team. There's also a sales hacker. What is RevOps? You should definitely check out the links. I will tell you, though, more RevOps episodes will be coming as well as uh, the episode, uh, the need for positive friction will be coming. The episode, you should love your silos will be coming soon, as well as, yo, bro, you don't need lead scoring. We'll be coming to the podcast soon as well. Make sure you go to the internets. Make sure you go to the Twitters. Make sure you let at Doug Davidoff know that you love him as much as we do. Make sure you touch base with the real Julie D, Max Jacob Cohen. I'm at George B. Thomas. Of course, these are always fun, enjoyable, educational. Make sure you use hashtag Sprocket Talk. Make sure you use hashtag the Spot Podcast so we can be part of the conversation with you. And of course, leave a raving five-star review because anything less would be uncivilized. And we'll see you in the next episode.